one of the best songs from the 1970s, tells the story of two brothers who were traveling to a boy's home. And they were orphans. And they were traveling for miles and miles. And the Hollies sung about these two boys. And, and, and eventually, uh, the younger brother, he's walked too far. He can't walk any further. And so his older brother picks him up, and he carries him the last 10 miles to the boy's town. One of the priests who operated that orphanage saw him coming. And when they come into the boy's town, the priest asks him, Why did you carry him? Isn't he heavy? He said, No, mister, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Do we carry our brethren? Do we carry our brothers and our sisters when the burden is too great for them? When they can go no further? Do we carry them when they are, as some would say, weak in faith? Or struggling with an issue in their life? There's a couple passages in the New Testament that are sometimes misused and misapplied and misunderstood when it comes to brethren who are weak and how we respond to them. But I believe if we look at these two passages and understand what it is to love a brother, that informs us as to how we respond to them when they are, in the eyes of some, weak. And so this morning, what we want to do is look at these two passages Romans chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we want to think about what are these two passages really talking about and how we can watch out for others in love. Last week we started talking about love in the church, what it is to have Christian love for one another and to love one another. And so this morning we're focusing in on these two passages that talk about our interactions with brethren whom we might have disagreements with, or with whom we, we, we might find one to be weak, or one uh, who uh, believes he or she is offended. And so we want to look at the passages and then consider how we can watch out for love. Let's begin with the passage in Romans chapter 14. And what we want to do with both of these passages is, is truly understand the context of these passages. But Romans chapter 14, notice what Paul says here. He says, now, except the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgments on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day as above another, and another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his mind. As we begin looking at this passage, 
it's important for us to note that Paul is talking in a context of the church at Rome, which was made up primarily, we believe, of Jewish Christians. And they had lived all their lives with certain dietary laws. And then in the church, you had Gentile Christians uh, who uh, lived by a different set of principles growing up. And there were some Christians that they were able to put away all those uh, standards of Judaism when it came to dietary matters. And then you had some that, and this is how we've always done it. This is how we've always lived. And there was conflict in the church at Rome. But Paul here is talking about how brethren interact with each other in a social setting. He's talking to them about how you accept someone who comes in who says, you know what, I can't eat that meat. That's unclean. And Paul says, when you encounter someone like that, accept them into the congregation. Accept them into your assembly, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on them. And this passage is, is one of two passages that is often misused because uh, verses 1 and 2 talk about the person who is weak in faith and someone else uh, passing judgment because of someone's opinions. Verse 4, you who, are to, who are you to judge the servant of another? And a lot of times people will say, when we have conflicts in the church. Oh, that's the weak brother. Has there, anyone ever called you the weak brother? Oh, there's the weak brother over there. He can't stand what we're doing. And sometimes we, we tell someone, you know, we, we obliterate the fact that someone is struggling with something uh, because we, we just ignore what they're going through or the problems that they have with something. And so for these Jewish Christians, they were struggling because they had lived all their lives learning that there are some meats that are unclean and they shouldn't eat them. And you had other Christians that had moved beyond that. And Paul's telling these Christians, look, it doesn't matter. You need to treat each other with love. You need to treat each other by putting the other person first. You need to recognize the fact that there is, there is someone who is struggling and says, you know, I, I just can't get it through my mind that it's okay for me to eat pork chops. That when they come over to your house, you don't give them pork chops. And for that church in that setting, that was a tremendous issue because Paul says what you're doing is you're causing that person to do something contrary to their conscience. Notice what he says, verse 6. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and the one who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. One of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? 
for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 12, so then each one of us will give an account to himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. For if because of your food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy your brother, or do not destroy with your food, him whom Christ died. And so you had these Christians who were struggling with the idea that it was okay for them to eat certain foods. And you had Christians that had moved beyond that. And, and you know what happens in our relationships with one another? We get bullheaded sometimes, don't we? Can't tell me I can't eat pork chops. Can't tell me I can't eat this food over here. I am free as a Christian. I can do what I want to do. And Paul says that's certainly true. But if your brother over here is still struggling with the idea that as, a, as someone of, of Jewish ancestry, he can't eat that food because it was always unclean, and he knows, he knows he's because he's been told that, that we have freedom now and he can eat it, but for him, he just can't eat it without it bothering his conscience. Paul says, don't force him to eat it. But do you see both sides of the conflict here, as Paul paints it? One person treats the other with contempt, and the one who's being considered with contempt is over here judging the other brother. You won't even let eat, eat pork chops or eat this meat. And so why are you judging me? You can't judge me for that. And so you had this enormous conflict going on. But as we think about this for our setting today, because I mean, nobody in this room, I suppose, is, have problems eating pork chops or eating pork or eating any of the things that under the Jewish law were unclean. But we have other things that we struggle with. But the way that this passage is used in the church is to say, well, the church shouldn't do this because this brother over here is going to be bothered by it. This brother over here is going to be insulted by it or offended in some way. And what I hope that you notice about Romans chapter 14 is Paul is not talking about any of those things. Paul is talking about the close personal relationship that somebody has with God. And that in their mind, doing something that they'd grown up doing or that they've grown up avoiding and not being able to get past that in their mind. And it disturbs the relationship with God. Paul says, don't put a stumbling block before that brother or do not judge a brother for his freedom over something that's a matter of opinion. Whether or not you can eat meats that were unclean or not in that day, and for us today, a former way of life. A number of years ago, I worked with a, a brother who was a, a uh, Spanish-speaking brother. He was bilingual, but he, he, uh, he was Spanish-speaking. 
And he said, you know, Ron, I used to be an alcoholic. And uh, I've struggled with alcohol all of my life. Uh, and he said, I really struggle because the church that sponsors my Spanish church plant, every year they have a big anniversary uh, of that church plant, and they, they want to celebrate with the brethren, and that's good, that's good. But he says, they always think it's fun to have mariachi music. He said, Ron, you know what mariachi music is? I said, yeah, I've been to San Antonio, man. I, I, I love mariachi music like, like everyone else. He said, Ron, mariachi music is like white guy's country music talks about beating your dog and got a flat tire in your pickup and so go drink a cold one. He said, it's the equivalent of bar, bar drinking music. He said, every time I hear that, it pulls on me to want to go have a drink. Now, the elders of the church that sponsored him had zero clue that when they brought in mariachis to have a banquet and all that kind of stuff, uh, that that was what was going through his mind because they didn't know Spanish. They were monolingual Anglos, right? Uh, and so they had no clue. They didn't know what the words of those songs were. But to him, it was causing him to want to go back to a former lifestyle. Or at least was a temptation to him. At least took him back to that place. And sometimes we encounter Christians in our lives who encounter things that to you and me are no big deal at all. And the scripture doesn't say that they're a sin. And so it falls into that area of a matter of opinion. And yet if we know that it's something that's going to cause a brother to sin, Paul says, don't do it. Don't put a stumbling block before your brother. If you know that your brother goes to a dark place whenever this happens. Don't do it. Just don't do it. And yet at the same time, if you're a brother who you're the one that struggles with that, and you know there's other people in the church that enjoy that or whatever, whatever the that is, you know, it's, it's okay for other people to go to San Antonio and listen to mariachi, right? You don't have to go with them. Paul says, don't forget Christian love. Again, verse 15, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Why is that in verse 15, that if I, if I cause my brother to stumble over my food, I'm no longer walking in love? And the answer is, is because love is that self-sacrificial love. It's that love that says, I'm going to put somebody else first. And if that means when I'm with this brother, I'm not going to do this because I know it's going to cause him to stumble, then I'm going to put him first. I graduated from Freed Hardman University, probably one of the conservative brotherhood University, uh, but uh, you know, back in the 80s, uh, and and it continued at Freed Hardman for many years afterwards. Uh, but back in the 80s, the big discussion was whether or not you can listen to Christian music and what kind of Christian music you can listen to. And it was great because there were always good debates going on about all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but I see that as kind of following, falling in this in this area. 
You know, can you listen to a Christian radio station that plays instrumental Christian music? And it'd be okay. There are some folks that say, I, I can't do that. Because I've grown up believing and knowing that God wants us to sing a cappella music in worship. I've had, even had folks say, well, you can't listen to Christian music at all because that's listening to somebody else worship, and that, that becomes vain worship. And see, those are areas where if you know somebody feels that way, don't do it. Don't do it. When I work with teens that are new Christians, I never get in a van and, and start playing the Christian radio station because they're not mentally capable of being able to make the, the distinction between what we do in worship and what we listen to for entertainment. So just don't do it. That's no skin off my back. And it's the same way if I was with a new Christian. They were struggling with understanding how Scripture applies to what we do in worship and, and how we live our lives, and, uh, and there's an issue that, you know, there's a fine line or whatever. Just avoid that with that person. And that's Christian love. I don't always have to listen to, you know, my favorite radio station, my favorite Christian song on the radio if I think it's going to cause somebody else to say, well, wait a minute, we don't worship with instruments in worship. Well, there's a reason for that. God wants us to sing and make melody in our hearts. And so when we come together to worship, that's what we're doing. What you do for entertainment is something different. It takes a while before people grasp that distinction. And so don't bother someone's conscience with that. And so Paul says, as Christians, we need to carry each other in love. Verse 19, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and for the building up of one another. Verse 20, don't tear down the work of God for the sake of food, for all things are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Even though you know in your heart that eating those unclean meats is okay because God said it was okay, but you have a brother who's grown up not eating those things, and for him it's going to cause a sin, don't do it. Paul says live for peace in the, in the church. Don't create problems for that brother. Verse 22, the faith which you have is your own conviction before God. Happy is, the, is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he is not eating from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So in other words, Paul says, look guys, if you're not fully convinced that it's okay to do something, and you do it anyways because somebody pressured you, you felt pressured to go along with it, you're not doing it out of faith. And therefore, don't act in a way that does not convey love. Submit yourselves to each other, Paul says, and give someone else the preference. So that's Romans chapter 14. Let's go over to chapter, uh, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and here Paul talks about uh, something uh, somewhat similar, and yet the context is different. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 14, instead of Paul talking to uh, a primarily Jewish Christian audience, now he's talking to a primarily Gentile Christian audience. And they were struggling with eating meat 
just as, as they were in Rome, but for different reasons. For the, folks in First, for the folks at the Corinthian church, their issue was that they had grown up as pagans. And uh, the common practice in Corinth and a lot of other Greek cities at the time was that uh, you would take your sacrifice at a pagan temple, they would sacrifice the animal, and then the meat, they would to the meat market, which was not far from the temple district in Corinth, and they would sell it. And everyone knew that if you got fresh meat that night, it was probably an animal that had been sacrificed to an idol. And these are people that are coming out of idolatry and paganism. And so for these folks, the issue was every time they ate meat, they went back to that place of idolatry in their minds. And some of them knew, you know, idols are false, they're, they're not real, I can eat this meat without any problem. And some of them struggle with the issue. Hey, if you're eating meat sacrificed to an idol, isn't that you kind of condoning idolatry? And we're not supposed to do that. Notice what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat sacrifices share in the altar? What do I mean? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord and all it contains. If one of the believers invites you, and you want to go eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean not for your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but for the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. What's Paul saying here? A non-Christian invites you to their house for a meal, and they set meat before you, and they know Christians aren't supposed to gauge in idolatry. And for the Greeks, eating that meat that had been sacrificed in idolatry was part of the worship of that idol. But as a Christian, you look at that as nonsense. You look at that as foolish. And you say, there's no such, there's no God behind that idol. That's just a statue that you built up there. There's no being here sharing this meat with us. But to the believer in Corinth, who knew about the ritual practices of idolatry, Every time that Christian took a piece of that meat and ate it, to them that was that Christian engaging in 
some sort of communion or worship with that fake God. And so Paul says, look, if you're invited to somebody's house, eat the meat without asking, where did this come from? You don't have to make a big fuss about it every time. Now, if they tell you this meat was just sacrificed to an idol, he says, don't eat it. Not because it's a sin for you to eat it, but because of conscience sake. Not your conscience. Did you notice he said that? But for the other there. Folks, that is giving preference or, or deferring to someone else because you think you're doing anything wrong, but because you don't want to bother their conscience. You're more concerned about their salvation. You're more concerned about their ability uh, to hear the gospel, to respond to it, and to be saved than you are for whether or not you get to eat some brisket with bark on it, right? Paul says, don't worry about it. That is to say, don't be so uptight in, in, in class, but if you know it's going to bother someone, don't do it. Give your preference, defer to them for their conscience. And that's love. That's how you bear up the weak person. That's how you bear up the brother that might not because you think that you are better to them or, or them, but because you want to see them grow in their maturity and their faith in Christ. Rather than just get your preference. Rather than just get things your way. And that's one of the ways that we show love to one another. Let's think about this now. For what this means for us as Christians today. Watching out for others in love. The issue at hand in both 1 Corinthians Romans 14 had nothing to do with how the church behaved in worship or, or ministries that the church were, was doing. Both of these passages deal with the relationship between brethren and the relationship that those individuals had with God and not disturbing those relationships. That's the first thing that we need to get in mind and, not, and realize this isn't talking about discussions that the elders have about what the church should be doing and being able to look at solid Bible and, and being able to come up with those things that we ought to be doing or not doing. And so, talking about those social settings. Second, we need to understand that what Paul's saying here is that we need to put others above ourselves. We need to go out of our way to build each other up when it comes to these types of matters. We need to avoid conflicts over opinions. Don't use biblical texts as a way to church, hold the church hostage. We need to recognize the difference between opinions and matters of personal faith. Folks, the elders in the church have a responsibility to lead the church. That's why when we select elders, we have a responsibility of making sure that this is a man who knows the Scripture and is in love with the Scripture and is able to teach others from Scripture so that they can provide guidance as to say, this is what the church ought to be doing, or this is what the church should not do. And there's going to be times when elders make decisions that we don't agree with. Sometimes they set priorities that aren't the same priorities that we would make, and that's okay. As long as it's consistent with Scripture, we ought to be content to follow them. But when it comes to our personal lives and our personal preferences, we need to put others above ourselves. We have a command in both of these passages to seek the good of others. And that's love. 
Last week we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love's, love bears all things and that love is patient. In reality, that means that sometimes we put aside our own desires so as not to hamper other people's relationships with Jesus. We need to realize that it often takes years to be in a position for some folks to accept that they have some freedoms and to accept that God loves them even if they, even if they have freedom in Christ on some things that Scripture doesn't forbid. So how can we carry one another? We help each other in, personal, in their personal relationship with Jesus. If we know that someone is bothered by something spiritually, then we ought to avoid setting stumbling blocks before them, even if it means putting aside our own preference. Folks, love is patient and seeks the good of others. Christ set something aside. Christ set aside his physical well-being by going to the cross to die for you and I so that we could be redeemed from our sins and have the opportunity to spend an eternity with him. And that's the example that we ought to follow. If you need to be united with Christ in his death and resurrection through baptism, won't you come? Together we stand and sing.